Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Bierenbaum. Thank you so much for your support over these last weeks. It was really a career highlight for me to interview Jack O'Brien last week. So thanks for coming along with me on that journey. I'm equally thrilled about my guest today. Not only is she a wonderful actor, but she's also very involved in theater education, which is a topic I've been wanting to get into on the show for a long time. As so many of my guests, myself included, have a theatrical moment, they can pinpoint which changed the trajectory of their professional and personal lives forever that somehow connects to their education, whether it was a play they were in at school, a school trip to see a show, something at camp or community theater or what have you, and not to get preachy or political (laughs) in the intro of my podcast, but we know that especially in the U.S. public school system, when people are making budget cuts, arts programs, and especially performing arts programs, are the first to go. And I'm sure we're going to talk about all this and more um, with our guest, the wonderful actress, Jasmine Johnson. Welcome, Jasmine. Oh my gosh, what an introduction. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. You're such a pro. I'm not even done. Because well, I haven't even done your bio yet. But first of all, I want to do a little vibe check. Thank yeah. you for coming on the show. I know you're so busy. I've seen through friends and social media. Can you give me like a snapshot of what is your life right now? Like <laughs> what is the day in the life? It, it depends on the day, honestly. Primarily, I'm spending most of my time back at Juilliard doing a teaching fellowship right now. So observing classes and rehearsals. So I'm pretty much there in the mornings and evenings. And then midday, I do some day job stuff, also auditioning, acting from time to time. can get a little, a little crazy. What are your survival jobs, if I may ask? Yeah. So I work for a small consulting firm that helps theaters with their capital campaigns. So if they're looking to raise money or, you know, get some donor funding, I do a bunch of research for them. So I'm like looking up all the very wealthy people and foundations that they can get money from. Yeah. That's cool, though, because it's still in the theater wheelhouse. I mean, it's obviously different skills, but it's not, you know, working at a Pilates studio, which I've done. Yes, me too. I've done that actually with our, our mutual friend. We worked at a Pilates studio together. But yeah. Oh, you worked there too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, it's been a big thing for me for the past couple of years to have all of my job-related things be about theater. So I love good. that. What an opportunity for me to go into your incredible bio before we go forward. Some background for our listeners. Jasmine grew up in South Carolina before moving to New York to attend the Juilliard School for Drama. As she mentioned, very impressive. She graduated in 2016. She's since worked in regional theater at the Lean Ensemble Theater and Shakespeare on the Sound, New York Theater at the New York Classical Theater and the Keene Company, and on the silver screen in CBS's The Equalizer and Netflix's The Politician. But as we've been discussing, in addition to all of her incredible acting work, Jasmine is deeply committed to arts education, currently serving as a teaching fellow in the Juilliard Drama Division and as the director of education for the Keene Company. In the past, she's also worked as a guest teacher at the South Carolina Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities, as a signature program artist at the August Wilson Monologue Competition, and as a teacher and instructor at the Stage Theater School in Brooklyn Heights and the High School for Contemporary Arts in the Bronx. Is there anything big I'm missing? No, I think that's it. Other than I'm a massive Beyonce fan. That's it. 
Well, I was, we were, before we started recording, I, we're no longer a visual medium, sadly, but I do want to give the listeners a visual that there are some incredible albums behind Jasmine right now. There's, we got Aretha Franklin, we got Fun Girl, we got Lemonade. It's really an incredible variety. A lot going on. (laughs) So good. Okay. So usually I go back. And talk about people's childhood first mm-hmm. and how they got hooked on theater. And I'm going to go back to that. But I want to start with the most obvious question that I had when, like, thinking about you and looking at your resume and bio, which is how did you come to teaching from theater? Was it sort mm-hmm. of like a survival job that blossomed into a passion? Or did you always know that it was something you wanted to do? It's always something that I've been interested in and I've always really admired my teachers and in the really deep part of my mind, I've always been aware of the fact that I never had a black woman teach me as an actor. I've had a couple directors here and there, but no teachers who looked like me. Some black men, but never any black women. And so I think that absence just I wanted to fill that. Yeah. I'm going through, obviously going through all the theater teachers I've had, and that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. Do you think that's just because education is like the last to catch up? Because as you say, I think there are more and more, definitely still few, disproportionately few, but I can think of some black female directors I've worked with, for Mm -hmm. example, but it feels like teachers are far behind. Do you think that's because education is always sort of the last catch up? Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, I think that people hold on to those positions for so long, you know, Mm -hmm. like these career theater teachers and the old school sort of guru method of teaching of, oh, this person changed my life. This teacher is the teacher and everyone goes to that class. And those classes in schools are gate kept in, in a really serious way, even still to the point where just access to them is so limited. When you just think about the diversity in schools, the student population, we're still working on that. So when it comes to teachers, I I just think there isn't really the access for most people. You have to know someone to know someone, you know, to get those jobs. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of that diversity, you're from the South. Mm -hmm. Were you, and I assume you were doing theater from a young age. Is that true? Let's, okay, this is a good way to, do you have a... (laughs) your first exposure to theater and did you have an aha moment when you were like that's what I want to do well yes they were very like so many years apart actually so I first started doing theater this is going to sound a little crazy but actually in my home with my parents they would make these they called them gag tapes but they were basically sketches of other family members that they would do and like record every year around like Christmas and Thanksgiving so like funny little things that would happen in the family my parents would like take that remember it and then they would cast me and my brother and themselves as various family members and they would film well I want to be in your family that's amazing (laughs) I know I always tell people that I am actually the least theatrical or dramatic person in my family. <laughs> my my parents may say I'm the most dramatic, but I'm definitely not the most theatrical. It's always, there's always something going on in the Johnson family. <laughs> but so just having that around, the older I get, the more I realize that my parents actually 
made me an actor. Like the little things that we did and that they valued and that we spent time on were always like storytelling and laughing at certain things that family members did and retelling those stories over and over again. So I really think that's where I got the bug. The moment where I knew that I wanted to be an actor, I do remember. I was 15 and I was at a camp, an arts camp in South Carolina, the Governor School Arts Camp. And they brought in an alum of the program. His name is Ashley Robinson. He's a fabulous actor and now I think primarily works as a playwright um, and screenwriter. And he did this monologue from some musical he was workshopping. And I just, we were in this like old rickety theater and it was just him on stage. And the way that he just came in this like average dude and then he just transformed. Just seeing that I knew, I was like, that is what I want to do for the rest of my life. It was, it's still to this day, one of the most compelling things I've ever seen. Just an average person come in, you don't know, don't know him from Adam. And then they, they're just up there and change before you're like, there's nothing, I, I'm like getting chills and emotional about it. Like right now, it's just, there's nothing more magical than that. At least for That's me. Completely. I think, I mean, obviously I wouldn't have this show if I didn't believe in the magic yeah. of that. And I think so many of us have those moments that we can distill really clearly that was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's, that's when it happened. It's interesting though, your moment, for someone who ultimately went to Juilliard, your moment is kind of late. I don't, that sounds yeah, bad, but no. kind of, especially given how competitive I know the scene of getting into these BFA programs Mm -hmm. is like some people have incredibly expensive monologue coaches and everything. And you were talking earlier about gatekeeping and accessibility. And so I'm curious for you, your personal experience, how did you come to Juilliard and was that, what was that process like? So I, my mother, my, both my parents, but especially my mother was always very good at making sure that wherever we moved, we moved around a lot when I was a kid, but wherever we lived, the school had a really great arts program because it's something that really interested me. And so I always went to schools that had these phenomenal arts programs, put on wonderful shows. And when we moved to South Carolina, when I was in middle school, I started hearing about the governor's school, which is, I love talking about it. It's, it's an amazing school. And I've, like you said in my bio, I've worked there. It's, it's a publicly funded school for the arts that's a boarding school in South Carolina. So any high schooler that lives there can apply, audition, and then go to that school. People who've gone there like Danielle Brooks, Tiana Paris, Eliza Bennett, it, there's just like so many people who've gone to that school now and actors, you know, that we know and love. Um, and it, it's such a magical place. And if it weren't for that school, I wouldn't have I never, it wasn't one of those kids who like grew up thinking I want to go to Juilliard from like age 10 or whatever. Even when I was in high school, I didn't think that that was something that, it wasn't even on my radar, to be honest. But when I got to governor school and started working and putting in all of that work and learning about the schools and actually figuring out that acting could be something real, like actually be a profession and not just you're watching Disney Channel. I don't know. That's what I thought actors did when I was younger. But, you know, that thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like, I can go to college for it. So that school really changed everything for me. 
That's amazing. And it was boarding school. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's so intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was great. I don't, wow. Like, my parents still to this day will be like, yeah, we, we actually let you go to boarding school. It was four hours away. So it's in Greenville, South Carolina. And my family lives in Myrtle Beach. So it didn't feel like too far. Like I wasn't in another state or, you know, but it was, it was boarding school. It was boarding school. Yeah. And I imagine, first of all, well, there's been a lot of stuff about Juilliard this year, especially in light of the reckoning that is happening in our industry and in the rest of the country surrounding race, a mm-hmm. long overdue reckoning. And as someone who went there and is currently working there, I'm curious, like, what what is the value of the Juilliard education to you? Or do you think it's valuable? That's a good question. I... Well, one, I think an arts education is valuable. I think it's invaluable, actually. People, I've, I really have seen people's lives change completely and totally because of arts education. And not just in a way of, oh, this person's now a household name or this person is now a big movie star or is rich and famous, but I have really seen it fundamentally change people. Those just social and emotional skills are really starting to atrophy, I think, for a lot of people, especially given the last year. But just being empathetic, being able to have a conversation, valuing other people's lives, not just centering yourself in everything that, you know, you're doing. Um, It's arts education is like a it's a passport to everywhere and everything, all times, all spaces. And so first, I have to say that I think arts education is invaluable. And I'm I'm ride or die on that. <laughs> that was so beautifully put. I, I need to cut that out and put that everywhere on social media, just as like its own standalone thing. Cause I, I couldn't agree more, but yeah. keep going. Yeah. But, and then when it comes to Juilliard specifically, I really believe in what they're doing there and in what they've done there as well. In terms of actor training, I think some of the best theater that I've ever seen has been in those studios on just like an average, you know, Monday, Wednesday at three o'clock. Some of the most brilliant minds ever are people that I've met there. And all of that is also mired in a lot of harm that's been done and people not being treated fairly, people being overlooked, people being traumatized. And so it's a knot. It's a knot. But like, there's so much good in it. I couldn't I couldn't lie and say that it's all terrible and it's all bad because that's not true. And I couldn't also say that it's all, you know, roses because that's not true. It's a very complicated place, but what place isn't? It's wonderful. I sometimes when I get asked about my experience there or experiences there related to, you know, everything that's come up in the past year. I try to think of a school that is like a beacon, <laughs> you know, like a school that's like nothing has happened here and it's so perfect and it's so wonderful. And I really can't think of any place, you know, it's hard to compare experiences, but yeah. So I, I believe in the training process, what are classics, ways things have been done, that, you know, don't co-sign. Yeah, it's interesting when when you and other people I know who went to Juilliard talk about it, it's very similar to, to the, the way I talk about where I went to college, which mm-hmm. is to say that 
no institution, especially institutions that are incredibly old and incredibly prestigious, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better word, are mired in problems. And I think any sane person that went to those institutions is going to say like, yeah, there are major problems. But... For for to just speak highly of you for a second, you are you are in the thick of it now. I mean, you're working there, so presumably there is a like you are in the midst of trying to change it and make it better for the people that are coming in, which is a great segue into my next question, which mm-hmm. is, would you say you have a philosophy when it comes to the teaching of theater or theater education? Oh, wow. I don't, well, I don't know if my philosophy is set. I think that there, that's sort of what I'm working on this year and what I'm trying to experiment with and toy with. There are certain things that I, that I know to be true in in terms of like my philosophy and what I believe. And I would say that theater is necessary. It's for everyone and needs to be taught in a way that makes that true that it's not just for an elite class and it's not just for, you know, these like elite institutions. I, I think that theater is ultimately about empathy and learning. And so if my big thing always that I say to my students is if we're leaving with answers, I'm not quite as satisfied as days where we leave with tons of questions. And so it just needs to be a place that people feel free to experiment in and feel wrong in and feel like messy and bad. And the the spaces that allow that are few and far between these days. Everyone feels the pressure to be perfect and that, you know, what, what they say is going to be captured or going to be misconstrued or they're going to permanently hurt, you know, their reputation or other people. And I think the rehearsal room is just one of those sacred spaces where you're, we're exp- we're exploring humanity and it's flawed and so you're allowed to be a flawed human instead of a perfect one like on Instagram or wherever we have to be perfect humans and so I think just making sure that that space is available to everyone director teacher student stage manager guest in the room we all have to feel like we can fail and we can say the wrong thing and we can make a mistake I think that's really important and something I think not a lot of people talk about, especially I resonate with that a lot as sort of like a type A person. Mm -hmm. I think theater like has helped free me of some of that. Like you can't, you can't go into an audition room or a rehearsal room and like predict exactly or a performance and predict exactly how everything's going to go no matter how prepared you are. And that is so scary but also amazing Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something you said where you said theater is for everyone and something that I was thinking about in thinking about arts education is I've always wondered which argument is like more compelling because in support of arts education because there's one argument that it's like you know, all the stats show that if people do theater at a young age and improves their health, mm-hmm. their socioeconomic status, every aspect of their life. So that argument is basically like theater is for everyone. It benefits everyone. Then there's an argument that's like 
we should teach theater because it has the potential to change the lives of the geniuses. Like Hmm. if, if, you know, so-and-so kid in rural Idaho was never exposed to theater, we may never know that he was the next August Wilson. I find both arguments compelling. Do you think it's a balance of those two? Is there one of those that you resonate with more? I I guess I sort of resonate with a hybrid in that One, I was actually talking about this two weeks ago, but um, in a in a class of, with an old teacher. But one of the, I love these um, like phenomena in art where you find out another piece of art came from a piece of art before that. And so I always one that I just I love is a rays in the sun coming from the Langston Hughes poem, and thinking about like who taught that to Lorraine Hansberry? Where did she pick that up? Where did she find it? And what was that moment where that, that poem just like it imprinted itself on her soul? Like what was that moment? And I think when you're in a classroom, you get to have thousands of those moments every single day on so many different people. And you're not quite sure which is going to hit, but hopefully something will. And so in terms of, Lorraine Hansberry is a genius, but whoever taught her that poem, I don't know if the intention was to unleash like one of the most phenomenal playwrights, one of the most phenomenal minds we'll ever have in the American theater. I I lean more toward the it just it changes your soul. I don't it just changes who you yeah, it just changes who you are and I think that's the most important thing. Like genius is wonderful and there's so many wonderful things we have because, you know, of some kid in the middle of nowhere being exposed to something and now being the biggest playwright or the biggest movie star. But, but I think it's, I think it's much more important than that, that, um, that idea of, of genius or becoming the one or the voice of a generation or, you know, a star. I have real, I have a real personal battle with that. I, when I graduated from school, there's so much pressure when you're graduating from a place like Juilliard. People are like, oh my God, you're going to be famous and you're going to be this and you're going to be that and you're going to book a series regular and you're, you know what I mean? And, and that wasn't the immediate outcome for me. And so I didn't really know what to do when I graduated. And I had all these questions of, well, what was it all for? Like, my parents spent a fortune on me going to this school. I spent all of my life, it feels like, in like these rehearsals and these plays and these musicals and these technique and voice lessons and all this stuff. And I, it just felt useless, you know. But it, I, I, I'm, I have so much because of it, actually, and. I just decided that I I was happiest when I was in the rehearsal room and that's me but I think for other people we're happiest when we're with other people and when we connect really connect as humans and theater just makes that even more possible you know yeah I was going to ask you about that transition out of school which is a question I've asked a lot of my younger guests because I think it's a really difficult time for 
any actor, especially one coming from a place like Juilliard, mm-hmm. because as you said, there is this pressure and you're suddenly faced with the dichotomy between the art and the business. So yeah, I want to ask more about what that transition was like for you. And and you and I are the same age, so we're now, yeah. you know, five years out of school. Mm-hmm. And I would say this year was the first time I kind of felt like far removed from college where I was like a different person mm-hmm. in, in many good ways. So with that perspective, what can you say about, about that transition and how it made you think of your career or theater differently? Yeah, well, it's so hard with, I find it really hard with social media and how it's changed since we've like gone through school. I remember just graduating high school and Instagram had just become a thing, you know, and now it's this, it's this beast that we really can't avoid. And so this like sharing of, of accomplishments, this sort of like hashtag booked mentality has thrilled just, to announce. Yeah, it's it's just like I was I was in a show this summer and an actor who was also in the show was auditioning for something and he said the strangest thing when he was talking to a friend about it. He's like, I've already got my announcement post planned. And I, th- I that is psycho, but I fully believe like, it. I t- and I he's not the only one. Like getting getting more excited about being able to announce a thing than actually like, oh, I'm going to be in this play or I'm going to do make my whatever. Like that really has eclipsed a lot of what it used to or what it still does on some level mean to be an actor. I was exactly going to say the same thing. And I I even reckon, I mean, I'm not immune from it. I recognize it in myself, like imagining the telling of people more than the thing itself, which is such a disease of our generation, sadly. And so it just made it, I I think all of that has made the transition into the profession a bit harder because it is so different. Like, you know, I, I think about what it must have been to be like to graduate at a time where there wasn't Facebook and there wasn't Instagram and people just disappeared and you turn on your TV and maybe you see your friend on ABC and you're like, Oh great. Or maybe your face pops up in a movie poster and you're like, Oh, they're doing that now. But it's not, you know, everyone reposting deadline (laughs) over and over again. You know, it's like, it's so absurd. It's really absurd. As someone who's teaching now, I'm sure that's even more palpable for the for the kids that you're teaching. Yeah. Do you try to talk to them about that kind of thing? Do you try to have those discussions in class? Definitely. I I really try to I have to be so careful with what I like post on social media or like what I even share about what my friends are doing because it sets this precedent and you know the students already are like following these people and sort of getting the lingo and the way they think things work based on social media like they're following students who are at these schools that they want to go to and following these big you know theater celebrities and so they have these preconceived notions about fame or what they should want. It's interesting because there's a difference sometimes in, in some of my students. I can sort of tell that some of them are like, oh, but like Jasmine or Miss Johnson or whatever level I'm teaching, they're like, she's not really famous. Like she knows famous people, but you know, she's not. So 
I don't know if I should listen to her. Or there's some who are like, do you know so-and-so follows you on Instagram? Like some verified person or some fancy person. And I'm like, that's what you want to ask me about? Like, like, you want to ask me about that as opposed to everything else we're working on. You're more curious about why this person follows me on Instagram. It's interesting. That's so crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've seen that in my social life as mm-hmm. a person walking around the room, it room, the world, the concept of fame. I assume you, you know, you had this aha moment from monologue. So fame was never a goal for you, I imagine. And then it just has a way of like creeping into our minds, probably because of the prestige of Juilliard and the yeah. fact that like people become Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, it took a lot of time to unlearn that you can be successful without being famous and that mm. you can be an actor without being famous. You know, I some of the actors that I admire who are sort of just, like, everyday folk, like, I think about Connie Shulman, like, who's... Sadly, I do not know who that is, but that just proves the point. <laughs> but it's like, you should look her up. You should look, everyone should look her up because she's phenomenal. But just these people, you know, who appear, like the people who are like, oh, that person, I've seen them on TV or like, oh, I saw them in a play or I've seen them, but they aren't these giants, you know, these like uber famous giants. But that, that exists. And a lot of people don't think that exists. Everyone thinks that if you're a famous actor, like stage, screen, what have you, you're immediately recognizable, you make a, a jillion dollars, and, you know, that's that. But I've always thought about it, like, I want to be an actor, like, I imagine someone who's really passionate about plumbing wants to be a plumber, you know, or someone who's really passionate about accounting wants to be an accountant, or whatever it is. It's just, it's my job. It's my job. That's a such a good way of putting it uh- I've never thought about it that way. I always used to say I wanted to be, you know, in a position where I had a Wikipedia, but all it there was no photo and no sections, <laughs> and all it said was like Katie Birnbaum is an American actor. <laughs> I love that. That's um, so specific. I love it. Well, yeah, maybe now one of one of our listeners will will make it for make me. a wiki um, for you. Yeah, someone, an enterprising person, please. I don't even know how you would do it. I want to ask, now that we've been talking about this, I want to turn to your acting. Something I was noticing, just knowing you and knowing what you've done, you you do a ton of Shakespeare. Yeah. And I found that really interesting, especially given conversations we've had about like the classics and Juilliard. And I think we're in a moment where everyone's like, oh, should we even teach or do the classics? Mm -hmm. So first of all, do you think that's an accident that you get hired to do a lot of Shakespeare? Or is it something that you really love, something that's deliberate, you're choosing to do these projects? It's something that I really love. I love working on Shakespeare. And I like the jobs that I really love and the theater that I like constantly return to is when I feel like it's poetry disguised as theater I love that like I'm such a nerd I'm a nerd for that I love poetry so it 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 sort of connects for me in this in this beautiful way but I love working on Shakespeare and I'm always happy to work on Shakespeare do you have you've done you know 
a bunch of Shakespeare, some more contemporary stuff, also worked on TV. Mm-hmm. Do you have – you know, I'm hesitant to term it as, like, goals because I think I'm very suspicious of, like, five-year plans right. or anything <laughs> like that. But I am curious if there is, like – if you have stuff that you want to get to on your horizon, either as an actor or as a teacher. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, with both of those, as an actor, I I love Shakespeare and there are some, I'm not going to say who, but there are some characters in there that I would like to tick off, both male and female. I think about theaters that I would like to work in a lot. So I'd like to mm. do something at, the Shakespeare Theater in DC. I'd like something at the Guthrie. Like I think about like Steppenwolf, like all of those like big regional theaters. Those have always been goals of mine. I don't really have as many goals for film and television. And not because I don't I don't like those things, but just because those always, I try to treat them as like, oh, if I book like a film or TV job, like that's a treat. That's something that like is kind of unexpected for me and kind of out of my wheelhouse in terms of, I'm so comfortable in a theater. So yeah, I don't really have very many goals. I'll take whatever I can get when it comes to that. But in terms of teaching, the goal for me always and sort of what I'm working on and getting closer to is having a life where it's all cyclical. So I work as a teacher and get to work as an actor and work as a teacher and get to work as an actor. And I find that one really feeds the other. And there hasn't really been a moment where I'm, just acting or I'm just teaching they've they've really folded into each other quite nicely so however I can get more of that that's that's the dream for me I think that relates really nicely to what we were talking about earlier about how everything you're doing every job that you have is somehow related to theater Mm -hmm. even if it's like not exactly performing on a stage right and I think for me that was definitely also a goal when I was like transitioning out of college because at first I was working all these random jobs which I think is a good like everyone should do it necessary yeah 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 but at a certain point you want you want everything you're doing to have to do with the main thing and as you say I think everything feeds each other Mm -hmm. and also like it's, it's so great that you're teaching and doing this other thing and acting because I personally find actors that know nothing about, like, other things to be very boring as actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's all feeding, feeding each other. I want to also go back to – you were talking about teachers not really seeing yourself represented, which mm-hmm. I think is a huge problem. That being said – do you have any teachers or mentors that you feel like really changed you or shaped your path? Honestly, every single one, uh, like truly every single one. I know that that sounds so like Oprah, but it's true. It's, it's true. Those who stand out, I had, of all teachers, I had this visual arts teacher in elementary school. Her name was Mrs. Miller. And it was just the way she was so observant and the way that she, I, I'm not a, a painter or a great visual artist by any means, but the way that she would watch students work, she, she could sort of like clue into like how, sort of like how you approached life or how you approach critical thinking. That was a big thing at the school that I went to at the time. 
And she would always tell me that, she would always say, don't be afraid to take the next step. Just don't be afraid to take the next step. I'm a very by the book, by the rule sort of person. And she would encourage me to just go for it. And that's always in the back of my mind because she, she just, she just saw me in this way where I wasn't really being aware of like, I'm an actor now, or I'm singing and dancing, like so vulnerable to like sit there and like paint and draw and yeah, so she's one that sticks out to me. Richard Feldman at Juilliard, Moni. Yeah, I, I think I the teachers that I admire the most are very simple. They're almost ghost-like, where they're not like putting their ego all over you and you're like, I'm the reason why you're such a good actor and I unlocked it and it's about my method and my... I'm not really about that. I like teachers who sort of disappear and make the student feel like, they can really do anything and that they accomplished it because they did. You're just facilitating that growth. That's another thing that I think hopefully is changing. There's definitely not really in like middle and high school theater education, mm -hmm. but there definitely is like a stereotype in yep. college and beyond theater education of like the guru mm -hmm. acting teacher who wears like a beret and tells you <laughs> – wrong with your life and you and yep. also the dark side of that that they're like scary and yes. all these different things I remember I had a teacher the summer before I went to college did this like pre-college theater program mm -hmm. and the acting teacher came in on the first day and the first words out of his mouth were I can look around this room and predict which of you are going to be successful and <laughs> I oh. and I and I think that was like a valued feature of acting teachers for a really long time. And so I'm curious, do you think that's changing? And as someone who's sort of in touch with that world more than I am, do you think that there is like a concerted effort to change those things now? I think there's a bit of an effort. I think it's changing somewhat. You know, it's not like it was like in the 70s and 60s where people are like stalking like Uta Hagen and co. But I... I, I'm having such a reaction to that, to what your teacher said to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, I, I think that it is changing. However, there's still this sort of film on top of the way that people talk about acting, which I just think is, it's, it, it's pointless. We sort of make acting seem like this very, like it is the most special job, only the chosen ones, only the chosen few, like aren't the people so blessed by our presence, all this like yada, yada, yada. And if, if an actor can't describe what they do, like a teacher describes what they do, like a doctor describes what they do, then there, I really think there is no point in the exercise of just being an actor. It, it, it's work. It's a job. And anytime that line is uh, blurred, I think that's where the harm happens, where people say, you know, you're an actor, so it's about your lifestyle and actors can only date actors and you have to work late nights and early mornings and have to sacrifice and no family or like all of that is where all of that really harmful stuff starts to happen. And that's where people, you know, people burn out, people say and do things that hurt other people. You know, I can tell you who's going to be famous and who's not going to be famous. Who cares? Who cares? You know, and there's so many ways to be, to work in the theater and 
to to be an actor in general. Like not if everybody is Jessica Chastain, then I failed as a teacher. If every single person graduates and is Jessica Chastain, that's a big, 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 big loss to the students' personal growth, to the world at large. It's just it's it's such a mammoth industry, and there's so many need. There's so many needs at this point, you know, for different types of actors and different types of theater professionals. So. Yeah, that for someone to say that, and you know, for these teachers who sort of lord around, have very. Can I tell you about this terrible experience I had with a teacher? Please, please. So I, <laughs> I it was maybe like a year or two after I graduated, and I hadn't been like booking much work, and it was in my feels about that, and so a friend recommended that I take this this acting teacher's class. So I started taking the class and, you know, it's like about 10 of us. And I got up for the first time about a month after taking the class and did this scene and it didn't go very well, which is just par for the course. So I leave the class and the next week, for some reason, I was like in a reading or something and I couldn't attend. So I emailed the teacher telling her that I couldn't come to class and she responded to my email with a bunch of other emails that she had sent to somebody else about my email. And in that thread, she had said, she'd sent my email to someone else and said, what do you think Juilliard grad stunk in class last week? And I, I was like, <laughs> I, mean, I, yeah. I was sitting outside, <laughs> I was sitting outside by the like Hudson river. I was like going on a walk with my, my boyfriend at the time. And I remember getting that email and I sobbed. I sobbed. I like, yeah, of course, I think that was probably the last time I had truly been like punched in the gut by something. It just, I mean, totally knocked me off my feet. And so I like collected myself, I like got it together. And by that time she had emailed me again because she realized that she had sent me that chain of emails and sent me an apology that was not really an apology. It was like, I never do this. I never speak about students' work like that. What a faux pas. Oh my goodness. And I, I just sent her this email that was very cut and dry. And I said, you know, I'm so glad that I received this email from you because it shows me who you really are. Like you claim to be a teacher, but this is not how teachers speak about students' work. As RuPaul says, if they ain't paying your bills, pay them bitches no mind. Have a nice life. Sticks and stones. And got out of there. But it, it like that... Even on my worst days as a teacher, never. I'm never going to say that somebody stunk. I would never reduce somebody's work to something like that. And the amount of times that teachers have done that to students in their faces, <laughs> behind their backs, like even things that I've heard and seen from teachers that I've worked, I mean, it's just, I, I think that is so horribly reductive and can really, like, you know, I'm thankful for who I am and like the training that I had had up until that point to be able to remove myself and say, oh, what that person said about me is not any determining factor. You know, like I'm not fated to be some horrible. I don't stink all the time. Do I stink sometimes? Yeah, because like everybody does. But for a teacher to say that about, I, yeah, it, it's just so harmful. That is such 
a crazy story on so many levels. And one of the levels too is this, the, the Juilliard grad attached to it, mm-hmm. this like implicit, mm-hmm. like, which also shows that she's not a teacher because she's making an assumption that basically her work there is done because you went to Juilliard, you should be the greatest actor ever, which Juilliard is incredible training, but of course, like there's more to learn. Right. And then the second assumption is therefore that anyone who didn't go to Juilliard could, could ever be hope to reach the levels of a Juilliard actor. It's so offensive in so many ways, but speaks to so many of the problems in the industry about gatekeeping and Mm -hmm. assumptions that are made about prestige. Yeah. And just tastemakers in general, like who gets to say who's good, who's bad, who's worthy, who's not like, so yeah. And it's just so re what you were talking about before about how like in this space where it's no longer like another job is where the harm comes in. Even if she said that to like her partner in Mm -hmm. her apartment, it's absolutely unreal and unprofessional that she would send that in writing to anyone. Yep. And like some of the things that I have the most problems with in theater and that when I read stories about like bad things happening in rehearsal processes or whatever, I'm like, that's because people were not dealing with this professionally like it was a job. Yep. And I think part of the problem is that as we've been discussing and as I know, like people who do theater are always like, isn't it so great that we get to play around for our job? Isn't it so (laughs) great that we're like having fun for our job, which I identify with and is partly what makes it magical, but it's also a job and you're working in a professional environment. Yeah. And sort of with that, a lot of people who have taught theater are actually not trained as teachers. A lot of them Mm. are theater professionals or actors who feel like they can just go into a space and get somebody to act well. And that's, I think that is the thing that causes the most harm. And that's the problem with theater education as a whole is a lot of these teachers are not trained teachers like don't you know just go in and sort of okay act a little bit like okay it's scene study bring in a scene you know what I mean and yeah yeah it's a mess I assume you feel that you use entirely different skills well not entirely but different skills as even when you're teaching theater than when you are acting because it's teaching Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. there a, a learning curve that you had to adjust for when you started oh my goodness yes um a a Big, big learning curve. I be, I started teach. I like taught throughout college and, you know, little sort of activities and things that we had done like extracurricularly. But when I start, when I got my first teaching job, I was a semester out of Juilliard and I was teaching theater in the Bronx to students who really um, did not want to take this theater elective. Some of them did, some of them did, but a vast majority did not. And so the first thing I had to do a semester after graduating from like one of the finest schools for theater in the world is justify why theater is important to teenagers, which (laughs) I think that that teaching experience completely changed my life in so many ways and in so many ways to go from a place where everyone, you know, Oh, well, of course we love theater. We're so passionate about theater, but we never actually talk about why it's important to then have to go to a place where it's like, people living off the two train who had never even seen a Broadway show 
describing something to them where they're like, well, I don't understand why this matters. Like, you know, this is not about my life. This is what fancy people do downtown, you know, and having to really, really break theater down to its most essential and human bits, not to like lower it for the students by any means. No, but just for myself, after you go to the, you know, you go to these institutions and you're talking about all this inside baseball stuff of, oh, so-and-so in this play and -and so-and-so opened. And, you know, when you get so caught up in that, you forget about the, the brass tacks of it all and why we're doing it in the first place. So, yeah. You sort of said this before, but why, what is the brass tax? Like if you were talking to those students now who are complaining about having to take this course, what would you say? For Okay. It's very personal for me. So I hope I don't get too emotional. <laughs> if I do, you can cut around it. But You don't have to answer, but... No, no, no. It's because I I think it's, it's just like making me feel things. I, I want to answer. But so my grandfather passed away this past April. And he, when he was seven, he lost his mother. And there's this story about my great-grandmother that his older his, I guess, would be my great aunts. So his aunts told him. And because of that story about my great grandmother, that's a person I've never met and will never meet in my lifetime. But because of that story, I know who she is. And my grandfather, who only got to have a mother for seven years of his life, gets to understand and capture bits of who she was. And when I think about just being black in America and that most of the stories of my life, the stories that mean the most to me, have been told to me orally. Like, we're, we're a people of an oral tradition of storytelling. And it, it is... It, it, even going back to, you know, me talking about my family and the silly stories that we tell each other and record for one another, you know, it's, that's what it comes down to. And so if, if my stories aren't written, that's okay. You know, if my stories aren't told formally, that's okay. But the, I can't think of a greater tradition than oral storytelling. It's just, that is who I am made up of of course I'm made up of like the DNA and you know biology of other people but essentially I'm made up of the stories of other people and some of those stories I know and some of those stories I don't know but having them having some of them I mean I don't know what my life would be without that and I think we all have those buoys in our lives of stories were told about our births or stories were told about, you know, that one thing we did when we were three or how we looked at this or what we, you know, or what some old, old family member that we'll never even meet did one day, you know, that's, that's what makes, that's what holds us together, you know? And so, and and that to me is the theater in its smallest form. It's like sitting around the dinner table and someone telling a story of what their grandmother did or, this time that there was this really hard thing and I got through the day, like there are so many moments of theater throughout the day that, you know, it's not starring Stephanie J. Block, but yeah, it's, it's theater all the same. Much as we love Stephanie J. We love Stephanie J. 
so beautiful. I'm very emotional as well about that. Thank you for sharing. Of course. I'm sorry about your grandfather. Thank you. And I think given everything we were talking about, about social media, like there is a danger that that oral tradition Mm -hmm. is starting to feel far away Mm -hmm. and be replaced by other forms of storytelling. And I'm not here to say that like, you know, one form of storytelling is better than the other, but I do think that that's the fundamentals of life in many ways. And we, we shouldn't forget that. So beautiful. I want to, before we get to my like ending segment, I want to ask if you have any advice for aspiring actors who may be listening or even aspiring theater educators who may be listening. Oh God. Advice. (laughs) No, some people really hate this question, but you know, I get a lot of analytics and I think that, uh, the, the portion of the people who listen to this who are not like somehow related to people that I know uh-huh. who are actually related to me are young people. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I, I mean, theater, especially musical theater, has that sort of like fan culture. That's true. I yeah. mean, I, I was on the Broadway World message boards as a kid, and so they're the <laughs> ones that are going to find it. So I do think – and it doesn't have to be literal advice like – get a good agent or whatever. In fact, I hope it's not that advice, but (laughs) just like something you wished you had known when you were like 16 or something and thinking about embarking on this career. Yeah. I would say follow those who have failed a lot. It's very easy to get caught up in wanting to meet people who are successful and wanting to meet people who are famous and wanting to meet people who seemingly have it all or have what you want but a lot of those people are people who've really, I don't want to use the word hustle, but who've worked very hard and tried to do things over and over and over again. So I follow people who are hungry and who've gone down every avenue because they're going to have the best advice for you always. And that theater takes time. It takes a lot of time. Even sitting in a scene study class, that's like a good two hour, three hour endeavor. And so I would say just give yourself time to grow, that it's not instant and it doesn't happen overnight. And then the other thing I'll say is have your own dream. Don't just look at somebody and copy paste what they have, but dare to have your own dream and your own plan for what you want because that's unique and that's real and that's necessary. You know, we don't need my, my hero, my hero hero is Audra McDonald. And I, I'm just obsessed. And when I was younger, I was like, how, how can I be like Audra McDonald? Like, how could I be like her? And then I very quickly realized that like, I could not be like her because there's only one of her. Right. But yeah. So now the question is like, how can I just be more of myself? Yeah. So have your own dream. And I think the way to combine those things even is like, realizing and having your own dream, your own unique dream also takes time because when you're young, of course, we're going to be like, I want to be Audra McDonald. Mm -hmm. I want to be Prince or whoever, but it takes actually studying and actually working and actually hustling to figure out your 
unique strengths and what you actually want. And that's why I think so many people I know who I respect and admire so much have remained in the theater industry with sort of twists. And I just, I really admire that because I think you gotta, you gotta make, make it work for you. Mm-hmm. I love Audra so much. I love My her. Audra story is that I was assistant directing a play, a musical in 2018 and her husband, Will Swenson was in it. Mm-hmm. And I got to know Will, and he's amazing. But Audra wasn't there, obviously, because it was it was regional. So Audra right. was like home with their baby. And then one day before tech, I was eating alone in like the one diner in town. And suddenly, Will, I heard Will's voice be like, "Hey, Katie!" And I turned around, and then there she was <gasps> with their baby. Oh my goodness! And I must have. <laughs> he could tell that I was like. Oh, oh my, oh my God. And her voice, I'll just say, was just like so velvety and she was so kind and luminous. She looked gorgeous. It was, it was a brief but amazing meeting. She's so, oh, I can't, I like, I can't even, I can't. That's one of those people where like, if I met her, I don't know what, I'm not quite sure what would happen. I'm not quite sure what would happen, but yeah. I do have. Well, maybe she'll be listening. And she'll reach out. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I do. I do have a bit of advice. One thing for theater the people who want it, who are interested in teaching, that I think is yeah, very important. Absolutely. I I really think there is this this fine line with teaching theater, where you do have to really want to teach others how to act and grow and change, and it. It really cannot be a place where you're like exercising your own drama school demons. I've seen so many people be hurt on many different levels by teachers who come into it because they've worked a bunch and they need something to do in the meantime, or they want to quote unquote give give back. And there are ways to give back. There are totally ways to do that, but it's a it's a really delicate thing to teach someone who is uh, learning and growing and expanding in so many different ways, like imaginatively, physically. And so be sure that you're coming from a generous place and not a place where you you need, it's about ego or it's about anything else other than the people right in front of you. I, I would say that for all teachers, but especially people who are teaching theater. I think that's really true. And listen, like, I don't know how you went to a, BFA drama conservatory. I very much was like, that seems horrible. I would hate everyone that I went to school with by the end. So I understand why people come out of drama school with demons, as Mm -hmm. you say, but I think it's so important. Obviously not everyone and there are amazing people, obviously, obviously, but I, but I think that's really important advice for educators because you never want to be exercising any demons you have no. out on the people no. around you. No, not your job. Okay. I always end these little discussions with a segment called the Thank You Five segment, Ooh. which is five rapid fire questions. So just answer off the top of your head. One has multiple parts, which is my first one. We were talking about Shakespeare. This may be tough. Favorite Shakespearean comedy, drama, and history play. Oh, comedy. God, comedy. I, okay, comedy, I'd say much ado. Okay. History. 
history slash tragedy, Richard II. I think right now Richard II is probably my my favorite favorite right now. That changes. Drama. I don't know. I really don't have a favorite drama. If I get a problem play, it would be uh, Merchant of Venice. That's a tough one. Yeah. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I definitely err on the side of we should try to fix it rather than not do it. Yep. Um, Even as a Jewish person. But I've actually never seen it live. I've only read it. So I I want to see a good production. Yeah. It's actually the play, the Shakespearean play where love is said the most, which I think is interesting. That is fascinating. I remember reading it in college and being like, yeah, this is offensive, but also yeah. it's really good in some ways. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's a whole other discussion. Moving, <laughs> moving on. Do you have any dream role or roles? Ooh. Okay, I'll say. I, was tr- I, I wasn't going to say it earlier, but I'll say it now. I don't know why, but I've always wanted to play Malcolm, Malcolm in the Scottish play. I really don't. I love that. Yeah, I I love that scene between Malcolm and Macduff, and I think it's such a beautiful scene. And I was like stage manager, not really like being an usher, really, for a show one summer where I saw that play every day, and that was the scene where I just was completely transfixed. So that's like that's a secret one, sort of, but I love that. Yeah, and then I'd like to play, I'd like to do Tanya in King Headley. I'd really like to do Tanya in King Headley. Those two are like big giant ones where I'm like, yeah. And being a Christopher Chen play, I'm obsessed with his plays. So that's a incredible one. Yeah. Those are great. Do you have a most memorable or favorite backstage moment or like backstage mishap? Most, most, I'm going to, yeah, okay, most, most memorable and kind of the funniest, we were doing a production of, oh God, Tom Stoppard, Arcadia, in our fourth year at school, and we had just finished the run, and we were all so exhausted, and it was right before Christmas break, and my classmate Jimmy came backstage, and I actually have a video of it because we were all so excited about being done with the play. I was filming him, and he comes off, and he's in this like period costume, and he goes, fuck, yes. And just as he like does sort of a pump, he splits his pants right there. It was hysterical. It was just, it was so funny, but just little silly things like that I always love. I love the anachronism of theater in that way where you're like in this like crazy period costume like <laughs> eating a starburst talking yes. about like your dating life yes yeah. one of my favorite it's the best the best lastly this is a little silly because this is a lay person's understanding of theater education but I couldn't help but think of it do you have a favorite theater game oh my gosh what a great question I do have a favorite theater game it's I feel like the this one's not played a lot. I play this one a lot, but it's called categories. And basically what you do is you, you take a tennis ball and sometimes many tennis balls, you go around a circle and you say an item in a category and you have to remember the sequence of passing the balls. And so sometimes there are like four balls going at one time and it's all consuming and overwhelming. And I think that it's like the best simulation of what it feels like to be in a play. 
but it's just tennis balls and categories. I love that. Yeah. I would love to play that. God, now I'm like really missing theater games <laughs> in a big way. Some zip zap zop, some red light, oh, green yeah. light, just all of that fun stuff. Whenever I try to explain, like I went to theater camp and we would audition for the show and then get cast in the show. And after we got cast, we would then do like almost a full week of theater games and viewpoints to like get to know the, yep. the cast. And when I try to explain that to, you know, people who don't, I'll be like, oh yeah, we like walk around the space in different <laughs> ways. It just, it's so, it sounds, it's, it's so crazy. It's, it's so, so crazy. crazy. It's walk around this. That would be a great title for a theater book or a show. Walk around the space. Yeah, we walk around the space in different ways. If I were to describe what an actor does, I I guess I would say that. Walk around the space. Well, Jasmine, this has been the best, hands down one of my favorite conversations I've had on the pod, but I had no doubt I would have a good conversation with you. Do you have anything that you want to say that you feel I haven't covered? Any other stories or anything you want to plug? Oh, nothing I want to plug. I'm trying to think. and No, I don't think there's anything I – no, no. Just if you're curious okay, about great. theater, fan the flame. I would yeah. have you back a million times. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Jasmine. Thank you for having me, Katie. Thank you so much. I think I'm going to do a week or two off because I'm going into midterms now. Ooh. I know a return to, to academia, but stay tuned for that and continue to like, rate, and subscribe and all the things. And thank you so much. Mm-hmm.